Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Behind the Headlines. On this episode, we talk to Ryan Stanton, a reporter in Ann Arbor, about the importance and the granularity of local reporting, especially at a time like this. I hope you dig the podcast. So we are here. It is week number two in 2021, and our guest, as I said, is Ryan Stanton. And my co-host, as always, Vice President of Content for MLive, John Heiner. John, how are you today? I am well, Eric. Thank you. Uh, second week of 2021, and I couldn't be more optimistic about like the next 10 minutes. <laughs> Fair anyway, enough. Taking it in 10-minute increments. Last week was a crazy town, um, obviously, for all of America, uh, with what happened in, in Washington. Of course, it all been brewing, and we, we talked about it throughout 2020 on it on the show and in other venues about you know changes in American society and 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 you know the impact on our communities and readers and you know it backs up into what we've been covering the topics we've been covering so you know and that's how I want to kind of kick off this call today what is last year was a year that our statewide coverage really came to the forefront and the need for the statewide coverage that we're doing about COVID uh, the lockdown restrictions the you know, unprecedented uh, social justice movement it took to the streets. And then, of course, political factions and how they took to the streets. So, you know, we put a lot more resources into statewide readership and, and we, we saw a lot more interest from our readers in those topics. But at the same time, all these things reverberate in local communities and it does filter down, not just these issues, but the existing issues that are in Michigan communities. And since its foundation, uh, way back in the Booth newspaper days, uh, our company has been, uh, the basis of our company is eight local newspapers in communities all across the state, uh, stretching from Ann Arbor to Grand Rapids, um, Kalamazoo, Jackson, Bay City. Up, we're all over the state. Plus, we have readers uh, from all over the state who come to that content. And it's still, a, you know, it's the beating heart of what we do is based in these local communities and around these newspaper brands. And actually, some of our most avid readers are those who've been with us for, for decades following those brands in our communities. So, you know, the attention has been shifted to a lot of national and statewide uh, topics of interest, but every single day we, we have, you know, half of our reporting staff and photographers are out in these local communities covering issues of importance. And so I thought today it'd be interesting to go to um, Ryan Stanton, a reporter in Ann Arbor, who covers a local community. And he's, I would say what you call the lead it, public issue, public policy uh, reporter for Ann Arbor, and the, one of the most knowledgeable people about what's happening in Ann Arbor. And I'd like to welcome Ryan today to talk about some of the issues that are happening in Ann Arbor. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, John. Thanks for having me. I'm just coming off a, a city council meeting last night, actually. Well, good. Uh, people won't uh, have to go out and buy a paper. They can hear it straight from you. If they tune into Behind the Headlines, that is, and buy a subscription for, for, for this. Um, one thing I, I want to tell you, Ryan, that won't surprise you, but you may not know. Um, we started digital subscriptions, online subscriptions for, for M Live readers last year. Um, back in, uh, started taking voluntary donations in April, but kind of the subscription model kind of kicked in in August. Um, and we've we've got thousands of subscribers around the state from all of these markets I just mentioned. But more than forty percent come from one market, and that's Ann Arbor. And uh, I've been based in Ann Arbor since 2012. I've been in the company for over 30 years, but living down here, I can tell you that there's a le level of avid readership and consumption of news that 
is not rivaled anywhere else in the state, first of all. Tell me if that surprises you. But second, what do you think the factors are behind that that make Ann Arbor such an engaged news town? I mean, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. Ann Arbor is uh, the most civically engaged community I've ever uh, personally experienced in, in places I've lived or covered or, or gotten to know in any way. Um, definitely a high level of civic engagement that shows at the city council meetings where people are fighting to get the speaking slots at the beginning of meetings to speak out on issues. People pay really close attention to their city here. They care about it deeply. Uh, they're very passionate. There's you know, even, even though pretty much everyone in Ann Arbor votes Democrat, uh, they still spar over issues and there's passionate community debates. So um, people definitely want to read the, the news in Ann Arbor. And, you know, there's, there's a high level. It's an educated city. It's a progressive city. We have a university here. I think that's part of, part of it. Um, you know, uh, it go, we, we still have independent bookstores downtown and throughout the city. And, you know, uh, obviously Borders was a big part of our community downtown for many years. It started here, that, that, the national bookstore chain, and that closed about a decade ago due to the, the shift to online. But, you know, we still have a, a, a community of avid readers that read the news and love reading for pleasure, which is, like I just said, is evident in our independent bookstores. So people can't read enough, it seems, in Ann Arbor. Well, uh, the feedback I get from readers, and I get a lot of reader email from all over the state because my name's you know on, on the website and the newspapers. Um, but the, the the quality of the letters uh, that I get from readers in Ann Arbor, and a lot of them are, have uh, you know .edu addresses. Um, <laughs> they're pretty informed people. It's not just education; it's the level of in, how informed they are on issues. Uh, that makes me, of course, have to take a little more care in re responding. Um, but they go deep into, into stories. They go deep into the issues and they, they write uh, very passionate but very informed looks to me, pointing out nuances that I don't see in, in readers and other communities. Uh, we hired someone who came from out of state to work here in Ann Arbor. And this employee uh, made an observation about people in Ann Arbor. She said that they're smart and they're mean. And I'm not sure they're all mean. They're all smart. But I think it comes through is their insistence on a high standard for the news that they that they get. So what, what kind of feedback do you get from readers and how frequent is it? Yeah, I get uh, feedback every few days or so, at least from some random person. Like, you know, last week I wrote a story where I, I broke down the city's new transportation plan, which is this big over 100 page comprehensive document that lays out 100 different initiatives pretty much that the city wants to do to make the city safer for pedestrians and cyclists, which is a big issue here. And I got a random email from somebody I've, I've never talked to before who said, thanks for breaking that down. You know, you really, you know, I really value your reporting. So I get a lot of feedback like that, you know, uh, pretty consistently. Uh, there's a few intense critics, like you just mentioned, uh, who uh, demand a level of excellence that sometimes uh, they, they want to claim we don't live up to. And, you know, I, th I think those are a small fraction of, of the people in town. I, I hear a lot more uh, praise than criticism. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty often that I will get some kind of feedback. You know, Eric, you're a media expert. And, you know, one of the things uh, really since social media became a part of the media ecosystem is a news platform, even though they insist they're not, but is that idea of kind of clickbait journalism or the kind of, you know, superficial news that you need to get people to come to websites and click. Um, but one thing that you know you might find interesting is that since we started the subscription model, we can see what people are reading before they subscribe. And I, I don't know, this might surprise you or not, but 
it's like we're four times more likely to subscribe off of a news story than they are off of a feature story or some kind of, you know, uh, quick he trending headline that we pick up. So, you know, the kind of news that, that Ryan is, it's really dense. Some of these issues are pretty chewy. Um, and they're talking about carbon neutrality, um, you know, and it's something philosophical like that. But we're able to see that, that readers uh, who get deeply into those kind of issues are the type more likely to subscribe. And, I, and I, you know, in the newspaper era, we couldn't track that, but in a digital era, we can. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that those are uh, some of the issues that are driving subscriptions. Um, you know, like you just said, I mean, issues like carbon neutrality, um, the, the city's A20 plan to become carbon neutral and power the community with 100% renewable energy by 2030. Um, that's a big lofty goal. Those are the types of issues Ann Arbor is tackling. So it is really fun to be a, a city government reporter in this town where all, all these issues were, you know, Ann Arbor is really punching above its weight class and trying to tackle the problems of the world. You know, we have a huge affordable housing initiative right now too, where we're going to be as a community putting hundreds of millions of dollars into um, addressing that problem. So um, pretty much every city council meeting I cover, there are several really, um, you know, meaty stories that come out of it that, um, you know, it's, um, you know, there's a lot going on here. Well, let me ask you, I think people look at Ann Arbor as educated in an affluent community, which I think, you know, demographically it is, but how did the issues of 2020, the big issues, the social justice, um, the issues about communities and businesses related to COVID and, and, you know, you saw the political protests about that, but it was also a business reality for businesses, but how did Ann Arbor fare on major issues of that were consuming the nation last year? Were they immune to that or did they go through the same sort of, um, you know, difficult period that other communities have had? Well, I mean, there's a lot there. Obviously, the COVID pandemic has taken a huge toll on the city, and that's an issue we've been covering, you know, the, the impact on the city's budget. You know, we just covered a, a budget session recently where the city's looking at a potential $9 million shortfall uh, in its budget uh, because of revenue impacts from COVID, you know, things like loss of parking revenue, parks uh, revenue. Um, and yeah, that's going to be a big conversation going forward, uh, obviously, with the university here and the, the COVID outbreaks on the university campus that were a, a big problem uh, that, you know, led to some city emergency orders and uh, things like that. So yeah, that definitely COVID was a big part of uh, covering the city beat in 2020 and continuing into 2021. Um, and then as far as issues of racial justice, I mean, yeah, that was the backdrop for a lot of the conversation around police oversight in Ann Arbor. You know, in the last couple of years, we propped up a new, it was April, 2019, that the city started a, a police oversight commission to, you know, have some more transparency around policing in Ann Arbor. And that's been a, that's been a big city issue here. Um, and the George Floyd, uh, you know, death back in May, that definitely uh, stirred things up and led to marches and demonstrations here. And the Police Oversight Commission got more active and calling for more transparency and oversight. And we did a lot of reporting on that too. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a good segue because part of the, you know, the day-to-day -day life and the toolkit for reporters is doing investigative work. And uh, in the P Police Oversight Commission, uh, shockingly, I learned this from reading your coverage, Ryan, <laughs> did not have in insight or access to disciplinary records for police officers. So, uh, you know, I'd like you to talk about Freedom of Information Act reporting and using that tool, but how that was especially useful in covering this story and, and how that worked out. How, I think this was a real great example of public service. 
Yeah, um, thanks for mentioning that. Uh, I'm happy to talk about that. That was, uh, you know, something we set out on, you know, I filed a FOIA on June 1st, which was shortly after George Floyd's death. And basically, you know, that happened in Minneapolis. We wanted to take a look back here at home. What were the citizen complaints against the Ann Arbor Police Department? Uh, how were they being handled? What were the outcomes of those? Uh, you know, and kind of the interplay between the Oversight Commission, which is an independent citizen body, and the police department, you know, which does its own internal investigations into those citizen complaints. You know, how was that process working, you know, since the city propped up this commission? And what were the outcomes of those? And what we found in looking into that was, well, one, that FOIA dragged on for months and months before the city honored it. And I had to do a lot of pressing to get it honored. Um, you know, for a while there, the staff person who was responsible for the records was out of uh, the office on medical leave, and that was the city's excuse. And then, you know, there's some leeway with the COVID pandemic emergency, uh, you know, orders. And uh, finally, it just came after several months. It was like, okay, why, why is this request still not being honored? And, you know, I got on the phone with the city attorney and, you know, reached out to city council members and really put the pressure on to get some records released, got these records back that showed you know, we couldn't find out, you know, whether, um, you know, officers were disciplined in any of these cases. We, we were able to FOIA the complaints against police, the citizen complaints, but we couldn't find out the, the outcomes of these in many cases. You know, the disposition, whether an officer was suspended for it, you know, whether it was sustained or deemed unfounded. Um, so we had to appeal that to the city administrator, finally won our appeal after a lot of pressing and fighting. Um, and yeah, we got, finally got back uh, records showing you know, all of the outcomes of all the complaints and that information is now being provided to the Police Oversight Commission, whereas before uh, the Oversight Commission was not able to find out if an officer was disciplined in any of these cases that it was um, set up to review. So we, yeah, we were it was gratifying. It was gratifying that the, the head of the Police Oversight Commission thanked you and am live for getting access to these records. But how is it possible that the Police Oversight Commission could not see disciplinary records for police officers. That, that's an allowable exemption under the FOIA law where a public body can say, you know, uh, discipline records are personnel records and a public body does not have to release uh, officer personnel records. So the city was saying, citing that as an exemption to uh, both us as a news organization and to the oversight commission um, and, and not and I, not disclosing that information until we pressed them on it and said, you know what, you can disclose that information. You don't have to release the actual records, but you can, you know, you can re release some information that says, you know, whether an officer was suspended or not. And they, they finally agreed to uh, prepare spreadsheets that show all this information, which is what we now have. And that those spreadsheets are now going to the Oversight Commission. And, you know, as a matter of transparency, uh, they're talking about putting that up on the Oversight Commission website now for, for the whole public to see. We've obviously done that through our through MLive, uh, but on an ongoing basis, you know, that information should be accessible to the public who wants to track police oversight. How often do you have to use FOIA day-to-day -day work? I mean, let's go back to the city administrator story, which I think, um, sometimes I stand back, I've been in the business a long time, but I'm just a little flabbergasted by whether it's the hubris of city or government officials or uh, how they, they, they circle the wagons um, you know, when they're being, uh, people are inspecting their, their decision-making. But this walk us through that story about Howard Lazarus and, and how you use FOIA there as well to find out about deliberations that were in a fairly controversial story. 
Yeah, that was another case where, you know, the city council made the controversial move of firing Howard Lazarus, who was the city administrator for about four years. Uh, that, that vote happened back in February of last year. Um, and for weeks and weeks, the city officials said they can't say why they fired him uh, because there was a non-disparagement clause. So we filed a FOIA for all their emails that um, included back and forth between themselves and exchanges with uh, various citizens who, you know, there was uh, many, many citizens who uh, lashed out at them for that vote uh, and, and council members were, were candid in some of their responses to them. And through FOIA, we were able to get those. Um, and then that really, you know, put together the puzzle and, and shed more light on, on what happened there and kind of just the political factions that were, you know, there's two political factions in Ann Arbor that are at war with each other. And that was coming into play in that. And, you know, that FOIA project really shed light on that. Without FOIA, I mean, it's an important tool in the kit, but, but where would you be left as a reporter without FOIA? I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have the democracy we have. We wouldn't have the society we have. We would have uh, uh, government officials who got away with a lot of things w without being held accountable for them. Uh, it would, it would not be good. Well, we could always rely on the goodwill of well-intentioned public servants to do the right thing. <laughs> there are some, and I'll give Ann Arbor credit for being generally um, uh, very transparent uh, in, in a lot of ways. There's uh, tons of information about city government you can find on the city website, you know, all city council meetings live stream to YouTube, and you can go back and watch those. Um, there's a document repository that has, I mean, pretty much just about any day-to-day you know, normal document you could want. But yeah, there's there's some things we definitely need FOIA to get at. And that's what we do in the news biz. Right. And I, I, I was half joking because I do believe most public servants are, are well-intentioned, but there's something about having control of something, you know, and, and being the person who has control of it. It's like somebody sitting in a parking space that their car's running and you think they're going to back out, but they know you want it. So, you know, they're going to take their time. And I think uh, public officials have been in the business a long time. Uh, even those who are well-intentioned, when they're asked for something, they, they often have a proprietary, they feel like a feeling of proprietary interest over it. And then they also wonder what people are going to do with it. And so, you know, we know what we're going to do with it. You know, we're going to investigate, we're going to look at things. And here's the interesting facet is there's things we FOIA and get that we decide aren't newsworthy. Um, but it's, it's the ability and our, our responsibility to ask for it, to look, that's our job to be looking. So, I mean, the FOIA, as you say, is, is without it, we would be, it's one hand tied behind our back. So how often do you use FOIA, do you think in a year? Uh, for a while there, I used to have a rule where I would just, I would try to FOIA at least one thing a week. And I did that for a while and that, that produced, you know, various stories and, um, Lately, uh, I, I've used it occasionally. Um, you know, it might be once a month that I have to FOIA something, you know, because like I said, the city is very transparent with a lot of things. I mean, I, I have, you know, more records than I know to do with, with many days. And, you know, my job a lot of times is synthesizing and boiling down reports that are hundreds of pages long to write a story someone can read in under five minutes and uh, covering city council meetings that can go seven or eight hours and, you know, writing five or six stories out of that, that, you know, are each five minute chunks of people's day. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I have more than I can chew on a lot of, a lot of days, but like, like I said, when there's those, those big issues that we really need to go after, that's when we use FOIA. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's very useful. Yeah. Ryan is a part 
of a team of reporters who cover Ann Arbor, but everybody's got different responsibilities. And Ryan's you know, main responsibility is covering city government in Ann Arbor. And, uh, you know, but you're not a one man band, but you do get you do get assistance on some other issues that come up. But you're the lead guy. And how do you prioritize? I mean, I know you're busy all the time and I, readers write and say more, more, more. They, they want more news in Ann Arbor. So, you know, how, how do you pri prioritize? Um, and some of these issues they write about uh, stretch over years uh, in, in the city. So, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you balance all that, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I'm in my 12th year covering the city beat in Ann Arbor now, and it's like juggling 50 balls in the air, and they've all been, a lot of them, the same balls for the last decade. You know, it's, uh, you know, some new ones crop up, like the Airbnb regulations the city's debating now. That's an interesting issue that's come along in the last year or two. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's just trying to chip away at it, you know, two, two or three stories a day to kind of keep everybody updated on, on this you know, rotating list of issues. I try to hit them all, you know, as we can and as they come up and as it's timely. Um, and like you said, I have a team here that I work with that is great. Uh, you know, we've got a county reporter and townships reporter. Uh, we've got, you know, a crime reporter. We've got a schools and higher ed reporter. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we've got a pretty, a pretty fluid operation here. And yeah, we all work together well to every day we come together and decide these are the stories we're going to tackle. Yeah, you came down here when it was VanArbor.com, if I'm not mistaken, and you were one of the original reporters there. But how important was it to move into the city and be a part of the city to be able to report on the city? That, that's been big for me. I, I uh, you know, I, I live in the old west side, you know, just west of downtown Ann Arbor, and I walk and bike everywhere. I haven't owned a car for several years, um, you know, just getting out in the community, being part of it, walking around, you know. I'll get stopped on the sidewalk and people will give me story tips. I'll, you know, I'll see a sign posted outside a building that will lead to a story. Um, yeah, being part of the community is definitely a, a big part of being a journalist for me. And um, th that has led to many stories. Uh, you may be our only carbon neutral reporter. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. I, I've, I've got uh, the solar panels on my roof here and uh, all electric house and uh, tr trying my best. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm living what's in the city's A20 plan. <laughs> what was it, you know, you were, as somebody who was a part of the AnnArbor.com experiment and, and some of the things they engaged with with the community and philosophically were trying to accomplish as an, as an open news organization, a community focus. Tell a little bit about that journey, what that's been like for you and, and what you've learned along the way as a journalist. Yeah, that was um those were good days i i i love the annarbor.com days uh you know we took the old ann arbor news and said how can we make it sustainable in the digital world that we were very rapidly transitioning to uh and we for four straight years were the number one newspaper website in the nation for per capita readership you know when we were annarbor.com from 2009 to 2013 and uh yeah we, we experimented did a lot of things uh where we tried out things with video and different ways to present information on the on the web page and how to design our homepage and, you know, creative ways to tell stories and found out what worked and what didn't work. And like you said, we were able to track all these things in real time with, with online metrics. And, you know, we found out the stories people wanted to read and what they didn't want to read. And, you know, that informed, uh, I think a great model that has led to where we are today with MLive. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the, the stats I mentioned earlier about the engagement levels of our readers here, the subscription levels, the digital subscription levels is, you could trace that back to the investments that were made and really committing to the first, you know, digital, you know, 
the one that was marketed by our company and, and one of the first in the country. Um, and, you know, it was not without pain, but uh, I think that you're seeing the fruits of that and how engaged this this community is in our digital report. So, uh, and then, you know, I'd mentioned, uh, you know, in the pre, we were chatting before we went on, on air, but uh, how has it been now? We're getting on a year. It's going to be a year in March that we've been remote. And this is like, you talk about these meetings that I think, are probably unique in the the depth of interest that back when there were physical meetings, you know, a, a packed room, people lining up behind a microphone, educated people getting up to, to make really involved points about issues. How's that all working in the virtual era? It's uh, it's devolved a little and the city officials will, will be the first to say that, you know, we've had online virtual Zoom meetings for city council and everything else since since last March. And uh, yeah, the meetings have been running longer and getting uglier. Um, you know, anyone can call in and say whatever they want. There's been racial slurs said at meetings. There's been, you know, just uh, attacks that have led to all kinds of commotion, uh, you know, personal attacks, I'm saying, you know, dur during phone calls from public speakers that, you know, that really rile up the council. And they're talking now about how to maybe not censor people, but limit, you know, what they can and can't say at certain parts of meetings uh, put, putting in place new council speaking rules. So, uh, that, that gets into one facet of what you asked, but yeah, it's, uh, more broadly, I guess. Yeah. It's, 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 it's been interesting covering city meetings from my living room for almost a year now. You know, I, I invested in a stand up desk to, you know, make sure <laughs> I, I could, uh, work from home well. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm sitting here in my living room, uh, right now and, usually during city council meetings, watching on TV or on the YouTube stream. And uh, that's been very different. I, I, I like the efficiency of it. You know, there's, that's the plus side that, you know, I'm at home, my couch is on the dog next to me. I can feed him while I'm watching a meeting. You know, it's just, I don't have to commute to back and forth to city hall or sit at city hall until three in the morning sometimes, which is really nice to not have done that for the last year. So yeah, when these meetings regularly go past midnight, you know, it's, it's nice to be home. Well, COVID has changed so much, and I think some of it's going to be lasting. I think it's going to change the way that you know we educate, the way businesses, you know, our businesses are learning a lot of lessons. Uh, you know, workplace, the workplace culture is going to change. I think you know forever. But how does it change civics in your view, or has it? On what I just said about how meetings have gotten nasty. Yeah. Yeah, do you think there's going to be any permanent changes in the way that the government has operated? Uh, yeah, up? they're talking about, you know, a hybrid model of city council meetings going forward where people can still, you know, tune in virtually and call in virtually um, in some manner and also still have city council meeting down at city hall with an audience there. Um, so people, you know, who have kids at home can't make it down to a city council meeting to sit there for four hours and wait for their issue to come up, you know, you know, they can stay home and call in when that hearing, you know, happens. And um, that, that, that's the side of this that has, you know, once we get through this pandemic has maybe really shown us how, how we can increase civic participation uh, even more than before. Mm -hmm. And how about changes in the way reporters work? I, I mean, I, I think going forward, yeah, there will probably be more virtual meetings where, you know, I don't necessarily have to be there and there's a full, you know, virtual setup and, you know, I think it'll probably, like I said, it'll probably be a hybrid model for a lot of things going forward, including what we do on the reporting side. Yeah, I, I look forward to getting back 
some point in the office and seeing all of you guys face to face. I look forward to having a beer with Eric Culcheran. I don't, <laughs> not the same. I mean, one thing I mentioned is I remember back in March or April, everybody was having these virtual happy hours. It was like, gosh, we got to get through this, you know, and nine months later, it's like, nobody does that. You know, <laughs> it's like, we just want to get off our zoom and, and, and have some semblance of normal life. But, uh, okay. Just to wrap up, Ryan, why don't you just tell us, uh, a couple of the key things you're working on and, and what we should look forward out of Ann Arbor, um, in, in the coming months. Yeah. I mean, as, like I said, there's a ton of issues we're tracking about a two zero carbon neutrality plans, uh, a biggie, um, I'll have another story today on that and a Q and a that I'm doing this week with the city sustainability manager, really talking through a lot of those issues, uh, after, after today, I've got a, a city council administration committee meeting where they're going to be talking about the rules around solicitation of council members, aka bribes, <laughs> um, which uh, came up with an allegation from a council member recently in uh, from an Airbnb investor that she she uh -huh. was uh, making an offer of a personal favor. Um, there's some debate about that. Um, so that's another story that's cropping up in the next couple of days. Uh, but yeah, beyond that. I mean, this, uh, the city attorney just announced he's retiring. The city's got to fill that position. The city just announced today or at last night's meeting that they're going to be moving forward on filling 144 miles of sidewalk gaps. We've got a story today on that. We'll continue to cover the Airbnb regulations debate. Um, you know, the center, the center of the city park and commons plan, uh, uh, the Gelman Dock, St. Plume, uh, all, all those are issues we'll, we'll keep chipping away at and telling readers what they need to know about each of them. You know, it's, it, you can multiply that times, you know, 50 reporters around the state. I mean, the, the business of living and government and, and you know, community life ha, has not stopped even with, with COVID. It's, it's, it's got to continue on and we're paying our taxes. So, uh, you know, the public service is still working. And what I didn't mention is, you know, we just had a story that said there's 24 new real estate developments, major developments that are underway in Ann Arbor to watch in 2021. Wow. And you know, so what you just said there, things haven't stopped. I mean, not even development, which is one of the biggest issues in Ann Arbor. And we'll be continuing to cover that. And, you know, that's new downtown high rises. That's major apartment complexes on various corridors. So we a lot of city council discussion about up zoning areas, more density along transit corridors and possibly in neighborhoods, mixed use development in some neighborhoods. Uh, so those are all discussions we'll be paying really close attention to in the coming months and reporting on a lot. Well, Ryan, thanks for uh, representing all of our hardworking journalists in the local communities we have around the state. Thanks for your great work in Ann Arbor, and thanks for joining us today on Behind the Headlines. Thanks for done. And there they go. A huge thanks to Ryan Staten, reporter in Ann Arbor, for breaking down the importance of local reporting. As always, if you like what you're hearing, rate and review wherever you get this podcast and then share it with somebody. We would love you for doing that. As always, I am Eric Hulkerin. He is John Heiner. And this is Behind the Headlines.